This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The guest speaker is featured on this message. Let me read to you from Romans 6. This is really what we're celebrating today. Uh, In Romans 6, Paul writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so baptism represents uh, what Christ has done for us. We are identifying with Christ. The, the believer is in union with Christ, joined to Christ. Christ died on the cross for our sins. Uh, He took our sins upon himself, and he paid the price we should pay for our sins. Uh, But he did that as our substitute, as our Savior. Then he was buried, and on the third day he rose to new life to defeat the power of sin, uh, to conquer sin, and to give us eternal life. And so once a person comes to realize that they are a sinner in need of rescue, forgiveness for their sins, and they look to Christ alone uh, for their salvation and believe in him, then their sins are forgiven, and they identify with Christ, that when he died and was buried and was raised, that actually was our death, burial, and resurrection, that we now have new life in him. So we're going to have several folks, excuse me, three baptisms today. They're each going to share a brief testimony to let you know uh, publicly they want to confess, they want to profess their faith in Jesus So they're going to share their testimony, and then uh, they'll be baptized. And just uh, the the way we baptize is by immersion. So we place them into the water, into the cold water, and then we we raise them out uh, of the water to demonstrate that they have been raised, as this verse said, to newness of life. So uh, we're going to have them come now and share their testimonies, and uh, we'll hear from them and baptize them. Hi, my name is Terrence Nickel. Before I became a Christian, my sister and I were put up for adoption. We traveled through many homes until the Lord decided that we were done. He put us into a family who loves us and brought us here. It had been a couple of years that I was in church, and I sang along with everyone else, but I didn't know what I was singing about. After doing this for a few years, I went into my parents' bedroom and said to my dad, I want to be a Christian. He sat me down and told me about what Christ had done for me. I believe that Jesus died and rose again to save me and took my punishment so that I could go free. Even though I still sin, I can look to God and know that I am forgiven. I am professing my faith today by getting baptized. Terrence, Terrence Nickel, based on your profession of faith in Jesus, it's our joy to baptize you as our brother in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You were buried with Christ through baptism. Grace to walk in newness of life. Hi, my name is Jennifer Nickel. I grew up in foster care homes. The foster parents at the last house that we were at were Christians. But all the children stopped going to church because the foster parents decided that we were hard to manage. After that, I never went to church. 
One day, I asked God for a family that would love me. About seven years ago, we adopted, and I came to church once more. After one Good Friday service, I asked my mom what a Christian is. She answered all my questions that night. I professed my faith in Jesus Christ. I felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. A few years later, things that had happened in my past began to affect me. I told my mom that I felt like God wasn't there, that he didn't care for me. I asked again that Jesus would be my Savior, and I felt free, like my sins had been rolled off of me. This doubting process happened several more times, but I truly believe that God has saved me from my sins. I can't see all the changes that have happened, but my parents tell, but my parents tell me I've come a long way in many different areas of my life. I have a bracelet that has John 3.16 on it, and after my conversion, that verse has had a different meaning for me, because I believe it. I'm getting baptized today to public, publicly proclaim my faith in Jesus. Is it cold, Jennifer? It's an, it's an, it's an icy grave. And Jennifer, based on your profession of faith in Jesus, it's our joy to baptize you as our sister in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You're buried with Christ through baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. In our new building, we will have a heated baptistry. But all the converts will be Amen. soft. These are the hardcore converts who are getting baptized in the icy waters. These are the converts who really love the Lord. So here you go. My name is Stephen Tatum. I grew up in a Christian home with God-fearing parents who raised me in a way to direct me towards the Lord. But rather than seeing my parents' example as leading me to God, I let them live for God for me while I worked on my next Lego creation. I was completely consumed with myself. It was not hard for me to put every single blame I could on my parents, or excuse me, on my older siblings, just to get out of trouble. Very often I was successful. Two words to describe my situation were pride and complacency. At around age 10, I began to experience a fear of the dark. Not monsters under my bed or someone sneaking in the door, but a great unknown. Whether or not I would wake up in the morning scared me to the point of tears. One night, without my parents around, <laughs> To help me, it drove me to the only other option I knew, my Bible. I opened it randomly because I wasn't familiar enough to know where to turn. The first thing I read was Psalm 59.1. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be a fortress for those who are attacking me. God, by his sovereign grace, had pointed me to the truth, the truth that the only way I could escape the unknown I feared so much was to run to his arms. That, I'm, that night I prayed, I am scared. I accepted God as my Lord and Savior and acknowledged that he was the only way to know that the future was not unknown, but sealed. God had put down all my enemies through his work on the cross. I'm standing here today as living proof of his work. God, through his work, made me a significantly more cheerful person and has given me a heart of love for other people and not just myself. I still struggle with complacency and pride, but I know that God is always molding me to becoming more like him. With which, <clears throat> which is why I have chosen to be baptized today, 
to show that God has sealed my future and paid for my sins and cast down my enemies. Um. Stephen, based on your profession of faith in Jesus, our joy to baptize you as our brother in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You're buried with Christ through baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. I am so glad to be here. I, uh, I think last time I spoke at a church, it was probably this one a couple of years ago or something. I am uh, always happy to come, not just to see my grandkids and my daughter and my son-in-law, but uh, just to visit you guys. You're, I know that you are very important to them, so I, I really love it and, and uh, uh, appreciate this church. I, I appreciate Craig as a great teacher. We, it was a joy to have him over in December speak about revival. Uh, I, I, I have his podcast, so I listen to him every week also. So I really appreciate your pastor very much. You're blessed to have such a gifted teacher as a pastor, and and uh, feel a little intimidated speaking here, but but I'm always just glad to serve him. I know he was on a trip, and so this is a, a great opportunity for me to also serve him by being here in your church. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to be speaking today on First Corinthians chapter 19. I'm sorry, chapter nine, verse 19. And um, uh, Craig asked me to, uh, as I shared, uh, also kind of give a, a brief uh, um, report on what is going on a little bit in Mexico and Latin America. And uh, I am in May, we are going to be meeting in Aguascalientes. We're going to have a preaching workshop in the city of Aguascalientes, which is in the center of the country. And it will take opportunity to have our first uh, national Sovereign Grace Churches Retreat in Aguascalientes. So it, up right now, there's six churches of um, six Sovereign Grace Churches in Mexico, and uh, we are in the process of formalizing our relationship and establishing a, a, a legal uh, entity that will represent Sovereign Grace in in in, this, in the country. Um, the, the, we also have two other churches that are um, Spanish-speaking churches that are wanting to be adopted and included in that, and one of them is a church in Costa Rica, in the city of Cartago, which is a suburb of San Jose, uh, which is a new church plant that's just started up um, last September, and uh, also a church in the island of Gran Canaria, which is part of the Canary Islands that belongs to Spain. It's off the coast of Africa that also started in September, and we're in that process of planning that church. <clears throat> and my wife and myself will have the privilege of traveling there in a couple of weeks and uh, spending a couple of weeks. And as, as we move around, God has been so good to open up new opportunities. Uh, at this trip, we'll be spending one week in the, in the peninsula, in the Spanish and Iberian Peninsula, and in the country of Spain, in the southern part of uh, this, the region of Castile, where, where uh, three churches are, are wanting us to visit and speak there and, and meet with pastors 
as they look to Sovereign Grace to, to help them uh, establish their churches. Uh, Spain is, is, a, is a very difficult country for the gospel. They have moved post-Christian, and now even, I think, post-Christian, post, post their previous state where uh, it's it's so sad that less than one percent of the population of the of the nation, the whole nation, uh, would would call themselves Christians. So that I mean, they are basically now a mission field that is where you have a lot of resistance to the gospel, and you don't have a lot of people there uh, that that believe. And most of the people that call themselves Christians are uh, Romanian or gypsies or Latin American. So uh, it, it is, it, it's very sad. In, in Latin America, we received the first gospel through Spanish conquistadors. And so now we're going back to share the true gospel with them because they, they've lost it. So may God bless us in doing that. So as, as I speak, keep in mind, you may be saying, well, what's why would why would sovereign grace want to be involved in in all these other countries and go all the way to back to Europe? I mean, isn't there enough that we should, we need to be doing here? Keep that in mind as I'm sharing this this section of scripture. So let let us pray first and put uh, just submit our hearts to the Lord to to speak to us today. Father, I. I pray this morning with my brothers and sisters here, and we ask that you will help us and you will bless us, Lord. We, what we really need is to hear your voice. And Lord, I, I feel very weak and limited to be able to communicate that. There, no, no human being is capable of really being a perfect vessel, Lord, for your holy uh, word. So I pray that you will bless us, even through me, Lord, even in my limitations in wisdom, even in my limitations in language, Lord, that you will bless this church because this is your church. You love your children that, that meet here, Lord, and, and become a part of a family here. Father, I pray that you will bless them by giving them the gift of illumination and the gift of, of encouragement. And also, Lord by bringing a word of exhortation so that they may continue to serve and share in the gospel. Father, I, we all commit ourselves to your word today, and we pray that you will help us. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, so let's, let's read, and I'll be explaining a little bit of the context of what, what, what's happening here afterwards, but let's first read God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. <clears throat> it says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, 
that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share, I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wrath, but we are imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I love the fact that Paul is using an illustration here to bring an exhortation to the Corinthians. And, and, and the illustration is of a race. And I, 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 it's, it, it's a great illustration that I'm going to use and expand on it a little bit because I think it's very helpful. It's, it, 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 you can relate to it very easily. Especially nowadays where there's all kinds of races, there's cross-country races, there's marathon. We have our own marathon, and you guys probably have a couple of them also. And there's all kinds of extreme races. And what we most appreciate about it, at least when I go see one of these races, is the number of people that participate that I wouldn't be expecting that they participate. Okay, so there's old people. There's people that look like they're really struggling by being there. There's men, women, there's kids. They, you know, there's just uh, people that are handicapped uh, and they're in their wheelchairs. Or in our race in Juarez, in our marathon, there's Indian women from the Taromara Sierras that come down to race, and they're very good runners. But they, race, they don't wear tennis shoes. They, 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 they have their little sandals, and they run a marathon in the sandals. So, I mean, you're amazed by the number of people that participate. And, and even now, they have these, these funny obstacle races. Uh, you know, if you've ever heard of them, they have the, the Tough mud, Mudder. Mudder? I, I don't know if I can pronounce that, but, but it's, uh, they have the Urban Warrior Challenge, the Spartan Race, and the Rugged Maniac. So... And obviously, the names are there to stimulate you to participate. So when, when uh, Paul uses this illustration to apply what he's, the principles about his life, he, he, he wants us, he wants the Corinthians and, and us to, to look at a race and say, look, you are athletes. You are runners. And the race is theirs. And you are supposed to participate in it. Okay. So we're going to be talking today. What does it mean to participate? And how do we participate? And Paul is using himself as an example as to someone that is striving to participate and partake of the gospel. And that is our team, a theme. To strive and part- to participate and partake of the gospel. There are two different things. One thing is to, to, to run the race or be a runner, and the other one is to partake of the benefits or the prize or what is the result of, of the gospel. 
So we're going to be looking to that. And, and I want to talk a little bit about the context. Paul here is writing to the Corinthians, and he's, he's been correcting many things. The church, he planted that church. He was there at the beginning. He, he was the pastor or the, the first pastor of that church. And that church was growing, and he had moved along to plant other churches. But, but the church had, had become disoriented and confused and sinful, and they had many things that needed to be corrected. There was, there was this loyalty. There was immorality. There was sectarian division. People were suing each other. People were confused about uh, marriage and singlehood. Um, there was legalism. There was licentiousness. Um, so all of these things are going on, and Paul is bringing correction. And one of the things that was going on is they were accusing Paul of not being a true apostle. They were even questioning whether or not they should support Paul in his ministry. And Paul was, in, in, in the previous uh, uh, verses of this chapter, Paul was, was defending his right as an apostle to receive a salary as a pastor, as a preacher. And he, he comes in and states, you know, God has established that those that preach the gospel should live from the gospel. They should receive support. And he says, that's my right but then he says, but I've chosen to um, not take advantage of that right, to renounce that right, so that the gospel wouldn't have an obstacle. And what he's saying is saying, you are misinterpreting what you call my weakness. What, uh, the fact that I'm not drawing a salary from you guys, you guys are misinterpreting that as meaning that I'm a weak apostle and I don't dare do that, that I don't have a right. And he's starting to say, no, I'm doing, I'm doing it because I'm preaching the gospel and because I want to become weak. I want to assume a position of weakness before you so that there will be no obstacle to the gospel. That's the context of what he's trying to explain of what he's doing here. He's, he's talking about becoming all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. He's trying to explain why he's doing that. So we're going to take a look at Paul's attitude of what he's willing to do, um, renouncing his rights just so that he can reach and save more people. Now, before I do that, though, I want to remind you of what Jesus said was the gospel. What Jesus said was the purpose of him coming. So I was uh, encouraged by a, a young lady here that says that she had uh, John 3.16 written in her Bible. I want you to go back there. I want you to go to John 3. And I'm going to read from, chap from verse 14 to 18. And if you are not a believer in Christ, I want you to listen very carefully. What Jesus Christ said was the reason that he came to the world. And it says in on John three fourteen, And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And of course, he's referring to his cross. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now notice verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be what? Saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now, Christ came to save. Okay, The purpose of the gospel, the purpose of Jesus' coming was to save the lost. So now this tells me that Christ wasn't content on leaving the world being lost or losing the world. Okay? He, it was such a, a, a big thing to him not to lose the world that God sent his own son to save the world. Now, the problem here is that sometimes we get the gospel wrong. And we think, yeah, God sent his son to save me. And look at all these other people that don't want to believe. They're just damned, to, you know, they're, they're just going to go to hell. They don't want to believe. They're condemned. But what we lose is we lose the spirit of the gospel. And the spirit of the gospel is that Christ came to save them. And the only difference between them and us is God's mercy and grace. There is no difference. But because we lose that, we lose that sense. We feel sometimes like we're like in a fight. It's us against them. Don't you feel like that sometimes? Sometimes I, I see some of these news, news um, uh, um, some news, and I see uh, people protesting against sinful practices. I feel this church should be showing Christ and not drawing a line and saying, you are sinners and we are not, and we are right and you are wrong. We should be trying to save them. And, and I was uh, shocked or impacted by a, a, um, uh, a preacher that I heard that said that, said that uh, sometimes we pray for our neighbors or we pray for people and we say, God, send someone. And he says, well, the closest person, the, the person that is most, uh, that's, that is uh, more reasonably close to reach your neighbor is you. He's your neighbor. So he, when he, you're asking God send someone, it's actually saying, well, that's why I put you there. You're already there. So Paul is trying to grab hold of this and said, look, look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm willing to do to save as many as I can. Now, Paul is saying, I'm going to save them. He, he knows that it's Christ that saves, that he can't save anyone. But what he's saying is, is I'm going to do everything I can, everything that's in my power to do whatever is necessary so that I may be an instrument of salvation to someone that is lost. He is not content on allowing people to be lost. And the question we should ask ourselves is, are we content with that? Remember, 
father sent his son to save the world. He wasn't content in letting the, the world be lost. Paul is saying, look at what I'm doing, because I'm not content. I'm going to try to save as so many. Now it's up to us. No, what do we think? What is our attitude? So let's look at what Paul was willing to do, what Paul wants to, wants to uh, say when he, what's, what he wants to do to save some, as it says in verse 22. There's two sections of, the, of this paragraph that I read uh, from verse um, 19 to 22. is one section, and then, and then the 23 kind of connects the, uh, the two sections, and then from 24 to, to the end of the, of the paragraph to 27 is the other section. The first section, Paul talks about himself. The first thing he says, he says, for though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all. This means that he has become or adopted a position of a servant. This is sort of like a summary statement of his attitude. He says, the first thing I want to do is I want to adopt a position. I want to adopt an attitude. And the attitude is that of a servant. Now, that word in the original Greek is that translated servant originally means a slave. So Paul is saying, I'm free. God, Jesus Christ has freed me from my sin, from death, from any oppression, from any law that, the, that man can impose on my life. But see, I have chosen to become a slave to all. And that's great because a slave... The figure of the servant, the figure of a slave, is in itself a challenge to us. It's a challenge to our sense of our own rights. Paul describes himself first as a slave of Christ called to be an apostle. So to him he's saying, I have no rights. I'm not here to serve myself. I'm a servant of Christ. And now... As a servant of Christ, I want to become a servant to all. And brothers, sometimes what happens is that we become, we come to Christ, we are saved, and then we, we are busy trying to explore all of our freedoms, of all the things that now we can do and now we can enjoy. Paul is saying, even though I'm free for all, Free of all, I from all, I have made myself a servant to all. What he is saying is that he is willing to submit to things that are it's not necessary for him to submit to those in order to serve others. He was willing to acquire obligations in order to reach someone for Christ. He was willing to suffer. Uh, being uncomfortable just so that he may reach someone. And I tried, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard for me. I'm from a different culture, a different country. It's hard for me to find uh, illustrations or applications that would apply to you. But somebody, I was in a, in a workshop in Lindale, Texas, a couple of uh, days ago. And this person said, uh, said something to me and says, you know, Americans really believe that no one has a right to waste somebody else's time. And I think it was one president, somebody said that, one a U.S. president. Nobody has the right to waste your time. 
And you get really upset when somebody makes you wait, right? Okay. I guess not, not you guys, but I assume most Americans do. <laughs> so what Paul is saying is this. Would you be willing to, for somebody to make you wait and waste your time so that you could reach him for Christ? Just a simple illustration, a simple question. This is not new. This is not Paul just uh, inventing something. Christ said that. He says, remember, if somebody comes and slaps you in the face, put the other cheek. If somebody comes and you know he wants to take your shirt, uh, give him the other one. That's radical. And that, it's not radical evangelism. It's radical living. And the gospel Paul is saying, is worth so much to save someone that I'm willing to do that and become that in order to save some. Now, uh, he gives three examples of how he becomes a servant to all. In the first example, he says, to the Jews, he became as a Jew. To those under the law, he became as one under the law. What, what uh, was striking to me, and I, I won't go into all the detail, but what was striking to me is Paul's dedication and priority to the Jewish, Jewish people from where, where he came from. Because you usually think of Paul as someone that was preaching to the, to the Gentiles and didn't want to do anything to do with the Jews. But when you read, for example, in Romans chapter 9, his heart towards the Jewish people. He's saying radical things. He's saying, I am, I w- if possible, if it were possible, I would be willing for Christ to, to erase my name from the book of life if he would do that and save my people. Now, I come from a Catholic nation. I, 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 when I was reading this, I was wondering, would I be, do I cry out to God for my Catholic friends and say, Lord, save Mexico. Save them. Save, save the Catholics, Lord. Even if you need to erase my name from the book of life, do that. Is that my heart? I mean, Paul wasn't saying, yeah, you know, I don't want to go to heaven. He's saying, I, I, I'm, I'm hurting for them. Why me and not them? Christ, go save them. So he says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew because I wanted to save them. And to us, sometimes what we're, we're, it looks to us is, is that sometimes what we're trying to do is we're trying to change someone's other's religion. We're trying to kind of, we have this, this idea, yeah, our religion, we're right and you're wrong. So you have to change and you have to become like us. Because you're wrong. Paul was saying, I know they're wrong. I was saved from that. But I'm becoming like them to reach them. In other words, he, he wasn't, I think what the, 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 the term is, I don't know how to say it in, in English, iconoclast. Is that? He wasn't an iconoclast. He wasn't separating and fighting stuff that you're wrong and I'm right. He wasn't debating with the people that weren't saved. 
He was trying to save them by even doing things that they were doing. So he was keeping his vows. He was, he was you know, uh, being a good Jew in order that he wouldn't be an obstacle to the Jewish people, the Jewish men, to come to Christ. Now, the second thing he says, the second example, he says, to those outside the law, he became as one outside the law. In other words, to a Gentile person. So he, what he was, he's saying here is that he wasn't coming with a self-righteous attitude. He wasn't, he was going to their homes. He was eating with them. He wasn't asking what the origin of that steak was that he was being served. He wasn't, you know, what'd you do with this? Is this, you know, did you offer this to an idol? Because I can't eat any of that stuff, you know. He was saying, I'm just here. I'm interested in you. I want to be your friends. I want to share the gospel with you. Whatever you serve, I'm going to just give, give thanks to the Lord and eat it. Jesus ate with tax collectors. Jesus sat down at the table, and there was a prostitute at his feet. Now, who do we have lunch with? Who are we willing to, to have a meal with? And I've, I've shared this probably here even, that in our church, we live in a country where we're not just... There's, there's all kinds, there's different of sinful people. There's different sinful people than there's in Dallas. There's sinful people here, there's sinful people there. It's just different sins. So would you, what would you consider to say to me if I said, well, I would be willing to go to a, a drug cartel lord's house to have lunch with him? in order to save him. Would you say that that's, no, you shouldn't do that. That's not safe. But certainly not safe for them. Because if I don't do that, they're not going to be saved. See, so I can talk about sinful lifestyles. I can talk about HIV-infected persons. I can talk about people with homosexual lifestyles. See, we are very, it's very easy for us to condemn, but it's not easy for us to go save. And Paul is saying our job should be to go save them because Christ, that's why I read John, Christ didn't come to condemn. He came to save. And Paul is saying, that's why I'm doing it. Corinthians, understand that if I'm going and eating in, in somebody's house, it's because I want to save some. So you have to be careful then of where we draw lines. And I'm willing to do this and I'm not willing to do this. Paul says, I'm willing to do all. I'm willing to become all in order to save more of them. Third example, he says, Paul wants to become um, weak to the weak. Now you might think that that could be part of the uh, people that are not under the law, but, but because in chapter 8, he mentions those that have a weak conscience. Um, what Paul is referring to is those persons that came out of a, an idolatrous religion that, that didn't, you know, had a weak conscience. Now we're afraid to eat stuff. 
And Paul says, when I'm with them, I don't, I don't eat meat. I don't eat some of the th- stuff that others eat because they have a weak conscience. So he says, he's, he's reinforcing that point that we have, there's got to be a, a higher law that governs our behavior and not the dietary and not doctrinal, but there's a law of love that governs our liberties. And I find that there's a lot of people, especially young people, that emphasize that we have freedom for, to eat and drink everything under heaven because God made everything and we just give thanks and why shouldn't we enjoy? Paul is saying, no, because there's a law of love that should govern everything we do. Because if you fight for your own rights and your own liberties and you're not thinking about being a stumbling block to somebody else, then you're not loving them. And that love stumps everything else, okay? Even our rights and our liberties. And that's what Paul is saying here. So, so that's, Paul is bringing those three examples. And by the way, I would include all, everyone that I would consider weaker than myself, okay? So I have friends I have a, a neighbor, I used to have a neighbor that she was, she is, she's, she's a, a paranoid schizophrenic, and she's always under, you know, drugs and stuff, and, and by God's grace, God saved her son, came to Christ, and he's a wonderful young man, cares for his mom, she's a single mom, they were kicked out of their house, and we've been helping them for 20 years, serving them. But, but she's weak, and weak people create a lot of problems, right? And you can think of your neighbor who has, you know, some sort of personality disorder or just a difficult person or, you know, like, like your grandpa or something like that also. I mean, there's, there's people that, that have, are, are challenging to you, okay, that, that are different to you, and they're basically weak, let me bring something to you that I learned this week or that I, I was reminded of this week. When, when Paul says, I became weak to save the weak, he's adopting a position of weakness. And what I heard this week, and it made a lot of sense to me, is this. The pattern or the method, the pattern or the method that God uses to bring salvation to the world is a pattern of weakness. And you can see it throughout the Bible, especially in Christ, the weakest of all, a servant that was killed on a cross. That example of Christ should move us to say, look, our position is not a position of strength. We're not trying to save people by being strong, because Paul here is saying, when I am weak, I am strong. And God didn't choose the strong. He chose the weak to embarrass the strong. He's, he's, he's bringing this principle of weakness as something that is desirable for the gospel, because our message should be clothed in a spirit of weakness, not a spirit of strength. So... Do you judge and condemn those that are different? Do we separate ourselves from people that are different or are challenging to us? 
because their practices may be sinful. Their lifestyles are sinful because they're sinful because they're lost. Okay? Um, They're weak. They're blind. They're needy because they're lost. Sometimes they can be aggressive, resistant. Sometimes they can be depressive. Sometimes they can be unhealthy. Um, But who's going to reach them? We are. We're the instruments that God has chosen to go and reach them. They may have weird customs. They may eat weird food. Would you be willing to eat it? Or it says, you know, can I come over? I want to share the gospel with you. By the way, can I send you my dietary conditions? You know, <laughs> so that if you want to serve something, you'd be under, you know, my categories, like you do when you get on a plane. You know, Americans invented that. You get on a plane, and they're going to give you peanuts and stuff. And, but you can put your dietary conditions there. Yeah, no gluten or no something. Uh, on my soft drink. I don't even know if soft drinks have gluten or not. But <laughs> In the gospel, there, there's, you forget about gluten, forget about anything. You have to go and, you know, even, you have to try it at least, you know. <laughs> anyway, the, the thing is here, I don't know if you're getting my point. I think that's what Paul is trying to say. Look at me, how I being an apostle, having all these rights. I can tell people what I want to eat. He says, I'm not worried about that. I am moving away from my liberties and my rights in order that I might save some. Okay, so why is he doing that? Well, that's what it says in verse uh, 23. But 22 says, the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. And then it says that I may share with them in its blessings. Now, that's our connecting verse, that I may share with them in its blessings. Now, in the New American Standard, it says I, 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 that I can partake with them. Okay, sharing it's a word that I, I, I don't necessarily like it because it doesn't bring that sense that I'm participating, but I'm also partaking, okay? So yeah, share does mean that. I'm, I'm sharing, I'm, I'm, I'm living something together, and I'm also receiving the benefit of it. Now, that's why I like the illustration of the race because there's one thing to run the race, and there's another thing to win in the race. And so Paul is now moving and saying, okay, guys, this is what I'm doing. I'm an example. Look at me. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to participate in a race. I want you also to share in the gospel. And he's going to tell us how we can share in the gospel. And let's read that second part again from verse 24. He says, Don't, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. And the NIV says, exercises restraint. They do it to receive a perishable wrath. 
Now, I don't know how I pronounce that, but it's probably, you know what it means. But we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box. And he's talking about boxing as one beating the air. But I discipline. And I think the King James says, I smite my body. And keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So how do we participate? How, how can we be part of the gospel? And he's, Paul is saying four things here. The first one. All the runners run. Okay? If you are called by Christ, you became a runner. You're a disciple. There's no Christians, just nominal Christians in the kingdom. There's only disciples. If you don't identify yourself as a disciple, then maybe you need to review your faith. Because Christ gave specific things. He says, you want to be my disciple? There's your cross. Carry it. Follow me. You love your parents more than me? Sorry, can't be my disciple. You love your life more than me? Yeah, you can't be your disciple. You love your possessions more than me? Sorry, no room for that. You're a disciple and you follow me. You're called to follow Christ. Christ is in the race. We are supposed to be running the race. There's no spectators in Christianity. And that is my challenge. Because I'm a pastor... And I live, seven days a week, I live with the gospel. And I can, if I don't pay attention, I can become a spectator in the race while I'm doing all the work. So I know that everyone here is tempted, including me, to just be the sort of Christian that is comfortable sitting down and watching other people run the race. Paul is saying, no, the runners run. It's not enough to be a spectator. Okay, we need to participate. And now, we, we, we know this. I mean, we say, yeah, we are part of Christ's life. We participate in his life. We participate in his glory. We participate in his riches. We participate in his spirit. We're part of his family. We share in his blessings. We all want to participate in that, right? But we also participate in his suffering, we participate in this in his, in his rejection, in this persecution. But most importantly, we participate in his work of making disciples. And so, we run the race. The problem that Paul had with the Corinthians, if you read the whole book, you know, the section before and the section afterwards, these Corinthians were involved with so many foolish things they didn't have time to run the, the, the race. They were in sin. They were in licentiousness. They, were, they had a saying, yeah, all, yeah, all is lawful to me. That was their saying. They really believed that. And Paul said, yeah, yeah, all is lawful to me, but not everything edifies. So he's bringing correction because they were distracted by all kinds of stuff. And they weren't running the race. Just all runners run the race. And so that's us. And that's where we have to, to look. Okay, how do we participate? We run. Second thing is he says, we run the race to win the prize. In other words, we, we, we just, 
We don't just show up. We, we have to put effort to it. We have to intentionally go and desire to win the prize. We put a goal in front of us. Um, you know, this is something I appreciate about the American culture. You guys have all kinds of goals and you strive to reach them. Well, you have to have a goal like Paul. What was God, Paul's goal? Why was he doing stuff? All of this becoming weak and becoming a Jew in order to save some of them. His goal was conversions. And so it's great that we have baptisms today because that reminds us that's what we're all about. Okay? It's not evangelism. It's the work of redemption that Christ came to accomplish. He came to save the world of which we have been benef- the beneficiaries of that. And so now it says, hey, guys, let's keep doing it. Let's save some. So the goal is conversions. Okay? So we must run the race to win the price. What is the price? What is that crown that is put on the athlete? Okay. He says, I, that I may share with them in its blessings. So Paul to Paul, what the, 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 the price is, he wants to partake. He wants to be a fellow partaker of the joy of salvation. So I'm here, I'm sitting down, and I'm listening to these young folks share their conversion. Do you think the parents weren't sharing in that? Don't you think the parents were rejoicing and partaking of that joy? Now, the, the angels in heaven rejoice with a conversion. And Paul is saying, I, wanna, I want part of that. I want part of that. Now, if you keep reading Corinthians, you know that Paul is also thinking about the reward for a faithful servant. He's looking for a crown. He's looking to be rewarded. And he mentions we're all going to be in front of Jesus' uh, tribunal. And we're going to, you know, and you're going to be judged based on what we did, being good or bad. And everyone is going to receive their reward. So we don't do what we're supposed to do. We'll lose our reward. So Paul is thinking there's a prize and you should strive. You should put effort into it. How do we put effort? That's the third thing that Paul says here. To win an athlete, a runner, exercises self-control and discipline to win the price you have to pay the price right you have to be willing to give of your energies of your time of your resources you have to be willing to restrain your desires and your comforts okay to get up in the morning at five o'clock in the morning to run five miles if you want, to do, you want to win the prize, you have to do that. You can't be eating donuts every day, okay? You can't pamper yourself. You have to discipline yourself, okay? So reaching out to other people requires that we make effort and we restrain our desires and our comforts. We can't run the race if we make ease and comfort our idol, So just as an athlete needs self-discipline, we need discipline 
to exercise that restraint like, uh, you know, the, the love of comfort, the love of ease. And that's, that's my, my challenge. Um, laziness, slothfulness, is not doing what you have to do. That's sloth. That's slothfulness. That's laziness. And the reason we don't do what we need to do is because we love ease and comfort. That's an idol. And I have, to, I have to sacrifice that. I have to kill it every day. I have to tear it down. And because otherwise, I will never do what I need to do. So, um, would you be willing to sacrifice? Stay at home on Sunday afternoon and watching the football game in order to go and have a cup of coffee with your neighbor and just be his friend and tell him, I'm doing this because I love you. And I'm doing this because I want you to know what Christ has done for me. How about using your Friday night, which I know when you're young, Friday nights are pretty important. How about using your Friday night and rather than go out on a date with your wife, which I think it's very important, you, would you be willing to reach out to your neighbors and serve them and invite them to go out with you? And I'm just saying neighbors, you may be thinking of your neighbors, maybe it's just an old lady there. I'm, I'm just thinking the people around you, okay? People from your work, people from your neighborhood, people from your school. You have to have that intentionality and then you have to sacrifice. The fourth thing that Paul says, and how do we participate in the world? He ends this section by referring again to the keeping his body under control that, so that he isn't disqualified. What is he talking about here? Well, you know, you can run a race, and while you're running the race, you can be disqualified and be kicked out of the race, right? That's if you cheat. So Paul is saying, and you, you would get that very clearly if you read chapter 10, what Paul is saying is that sin disqualifies you from the price. The price of saving souls, the problem is that sin robs us. Robs us of our reward. Robs us of our opportunity to serve our Lord. Sin is, is, is besieging. Is that the word? It's like always there crouching, trying to pull you back. Trying to say, no, don't do that. And if we let that, if we let our desires go through things that are not good, that are evil, then we lose. And one of the things he was fighting is this thought that I can sin and nothing happens. Let me tell you something. Sin always has consequences. Always. And there's always loss. Always. You always lose. So Paul's saying, I'd be preaching to you, and I'm saying this to myself. I, Carlos, <coughs> may be preaching to you, and I may be disqualified. I can't do that. So I smite my body. I've been struggling with a little chest cold this week with this weather. It's ugly weather here. I, I thought I was coming to nice weather. And <clears throat> um, he says, I, I, I bo- I'm not like boxing like in the air. You know, if I was a boxer and I would just train shadow boxing, 
uh, I wouldn't be a very good boxer. I need to get into a ring with somebody else. And I need to feel what it feels like somebody hitting me. Right? I don't know if you've ever done that. Ever gotten in a fight? It hurts. Okay, that was the first thing I, when I was a kid Then I got in a fight with another boy. The first thing that was amazing to me is, man, it hurts when you get hit in your face. So Paul is saying, I, I don't fight in the shadow boxing. I plummet my body. I lit it. I, I need to get the blows. So we need to open up amongst our, ourselves. And we need to confess our sins, even if, it's hurt, if it hurts. And we need others to come in and say, look, guy, you're a lazy bum. I don't know if you do that in here, but I've given permission to other guys to say, yeah, if you see me, if I'm a lazy bum, you come and tell me I'm a lazy bum. And you give me, I mean, you grab a bat. If I don't respond, you hit me on the head with it. I, I need that. Why? Because I know my tendencies and I need others' help to, to call me, to, to question me, to challenge me, even if it hurts. Because sin disqualifies you. Paul was afraid to be disqualified. And I'm wondering, are we afraid to be disqualified? So what can you do? Here's Paul giving us four things. You need effort. You need to run the race. Put a goal up there. Try to save some. What can you do? How can you put this into practice? Let me give you some tips. Okay. These are things that I thought of. I'm not, I haven't done all of them. I mean, this, I, I chose this message because I needed to hear it again myself. This is a message I liked. I wanted somebody to preach to me again. I preached it several weeks ago. I wanted to preach it again. So I figured well, I'll just go and preach it in Dallas and I'll hear it again myself. Number one, what can you do? Start by praying. You obviously know that you're supposed to pray for the lost, right? Pray for the unbelieving people. Uh, pray that God will bless them. God will save them. God will open their eyes. But I'm, I'm saying pray for you to be used. Pray for opportunities. Cry out to God. This is a prayer that I've included in my prayers, and it's a little scary. But pray something like this. Lord, can I ask you, can you use me today to share the gospel with someone? Will you bring someone into my life that I can share with them? Father, please, may this week not go by that I may see someone come to Christ. And it's scary to me because that's not me. I'm doing it as a discipline. It's not natural. I don't know if there's, I'm, I'm sure there's evangelists out there that, that this, they breathe these things. I don't. I need to pray about it. I need to ask God to kind of push me, to show me, to give me opportunities. So start by praying, praying for yourself. Number two, just uh, the application should come from the passage. <laughs> I'm saying this. Set your goal on seeing people saved. Okay, don't set your goal. I, I got them to church. No, Lord, give me conversions. 
Lord, give us conversions at church. Give me conversion. Let me lead someone to Christ. Use me to save someone. It's great that, you know, people go up there and and they do all kinds of testimony. I want to be one of them. Set a goal on seeing people saved. Number three, train yourself. Learn. Nobody runs a marathon if they've never run before. Right? So you have to, one day, you have to get out of your house and you run 100 yards, you know. Even if you feel like you're, that's it. That's all you can do. Okay, so train yourself. Talk to a stranger. Um, I find that it, in our culture, it's very easy to talk to strangers. People want to talk to you. In here in the United States, people don't want to talk to you. They really want to be left alone. I don't understand it. But that's your culture. So that's where you have to start. Say, hi, how are you? How was your day? How are you doing? Okay. Uh, You may get an aggressive response, but at least you're trying. At least you're saying hello. A gospel conversation can't start without a hello. So at least you're doing the first part. So maybe next day you say, okay, I said hello. The neighbor kind of kind of waved back and then turned around and got into his house. So, Lord, can I give me a chance to go? Step two. Okay. What's your name? <laughs> okay, so you have to learn. You have to train yourselves. Number four, dare to take risks. And I know what my risks are. I know there's people that I'm trying to avoid. I know there's people that are, it would be very uncomfortable for me to share. You know who those people are mostly? My family members. You know, we have an extended family. I have brothers and cousins and, and, and nephews. They know me. They've known me all my life. It's very hard for me to come back and keep insisting and bring, going back to the conversation. What about your soul? What about Christ? So take risks. Don't shun it. Don't just, just, just intentionally do the hard part. I know from being, uh, you may not look at me as an athlete, but I know a little bit. I've read something about it. And I know you have to do that. You have to, you know, push yourself. Number five, be creative. Uh, my wife got into, I, I gave her an iPhone and she got into Pinterest, is that pin, Pinterest? How do you say that? Pinterest. Okay. <laughs> I was amazed. She's amazed. I said, "Man, there's just thousands and thousands and thousands of ideas." And Americans invented that. <laughs> Use it for evangelism. Okay. I don't know what how it works, but. Kind of get, get a club going. Get a Facebook page on it. You know, hey, here's some ideas how to reach people with Christ. And you guys are so creative. You can come with thousands of ideas. Be creative. That's an easy one. Um, here's a more difficult one. Find ways to serve unbelievers. And I'll give you a tip. Wherever you live, I'm sure there's couples with small children. Become their friends with the sole purpose of winning their 
trust so that you can one day say, hey, how long ago was the last time you guys took a date? That means that my time is up. <laughs> and say, I'll be willing to, to look after your children so that you can go out and have a date. That couple is going to go on a date, and they're going to take a four-hour date. <laughs> and you'll be, when they come back, they'll have a sense, not only that you are willing to sacrifice and serve them, but also a sense, why? And you can say, I tell you, I'll, I'll, let me tell you why. I, I, I'm all, all I'm going to ask from you is, would you listen to me and tell you why I love Jesus Christ? Serve unbelievers. Uh, the word, I, I know what the number is. Don't give up so easily. And I know, I put that one in there, but that's what I do. I try to do something, and somebody will, yeah, no, no, I don't want to, I'm not interested. Don't give up. Don't give up. Never close the door on anyone. Never say, no, that's unreachable, Jim, or that's, you know, unsavable Tammy or whatever. Just don't give up. Go back and say, Lord, you didn't want to listen to me. Open this heart. Give me another opportunity, Lord. I don't want to give up. My goal is saving them. So you keep at it, and you keep praying, and you keep going, and you keep knocking on the door, and you keep saying, hi, Jim. Hi, Tammy. How are you doing? Hey, when can we have another cup of coffee? And they may say, never. So keep praying. Don't give up. Finally, <coughs> participate and joyfully <coughs> support everything, anything that has to do with sound missions work. Be involved. Get to know. <coughs> I don't know if, <coughs> if um, you guys have none. A, a mission Sunday or not. I don't know if you have a mission fund. I know Sovereign Grace has a mission fund, but we have our own mission fund. Participate. Ask, I mean, don't just see that as, oh, that's, that's yeah, something that pastors are doing. No, 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 no. We're runners. That's our race, and that's our mission. Okay? And the end, go on a mission strip. I'm not plugging you go to Juarez, but I am plugging you go on a mission trip. Okay? Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for this congregation, Father. Because I know, Lord, you know my heart. You know that that I needed to, to hear this myself. But also, Lord, I, I don't want anyone here to feel as though they're, uh, they're less loved by you, they're less accepted by you, because they may not be running the race at this time. Father, I want to ask you that you would encourage them to start running to get into the race. I want to ask you, Lord, to 
bring that sense of encouragement that your Holy Spirit would lead all of us to, to partake of your wonderful work of salvation and redemption in this world. Lord, put excitement in us and put a desire in us to run the race and to run to win the prize. And Father, if anybody here was running the race and, and sat down and abandoned the race, Father, I pray that you will encourage them to return and to return with eyes of an instrument, of a disciple wanting to be used to save others. And Father, if there's anybody here that, that has felt that was disqualified because of their sin, Father, I pray that you will bring the appropriate measure of repentance and cleansing and vigor again so that they can get back into the race and not suffer loss. Father, I pray you will make this church a powerful instrument of salvation in this area, in this community. May they be successful in being used to save many I pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Before, before we go, I want to say two quick things. I'm not going to be the guy who re-preaches the message. Two quick things. This was a message for us. This is a word for our church. This is a word for our vision. This is a word for now to obey the Lord but it's a word for our future as well. So we want to get some shelf life out of this message. Um, and this is a community group week, right? So we'll be able to talk about this in our community groups. And let's come ready to engage on this topic, realizing that many of us aren't in the race. He, Carlos stood up here, the guy taught the message, says he struggles. So it's okay for us all to struggle, right? Let's recognize some of us are out of shape. Some of us are on the, uh, sitting on the lazy boy with the channel change in our hand, and we're not in the game. That's okay. Let's get in the game, but let's help one another. So if you felt convicted, that's great. Let's help one another get in. I don't think there's very many of us uh, that are running marathons. I think we all are in a position to grow as a church. So this word was right on for us. And those eight points at the end, or however many there were, about application, let's, let's apply that. Very, very good. Uh, we're going to dismiss. Thank you, Carlos. This, was a, this is a word that I want to mark us. And I want to, it was a prophetic word, meaning that it was from the Lord for this season, for our future. So let's receive this. Go over your notes. Come, please come to community group. Even if you feel like you're not in the race, you need to be there most of all. Please come and let's discuss this and let's all help one another in the race. Let me pray and we're done. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.